Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, I want to welcome you to Liquid. I'm Pastor Tim. Glad you're here for our new series, Last Words. And today we got to give a big special welcome today because not only do we have folks joining us in New Brunswick and Nutley and Mountainside, we have brothers and sisters joining us in Garwood, New Jersey. Would you welcome those guys? Glad you're with us. Welcome to the Liquid Church. We're glad you're here with us. And, uh, you know, Easter's just around the corner. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at the last words of Jesus Christ that he spoke as he hung dying on the cross. What did our Lord and Savior say? As Christians, we believe Jesus was crucified, he bled, he died on the cross to sacrifice himself for the sins of humanity. And in the moments before a person's death, what they say takes on special significance. When someone's last words, we even have a phrase for it, right? Famous last words. In fact, let me give you a few examples and see if you can think, who is the historical person who said these famous last words before they died? Here's the first one. I die hard, but am not afraid to go. That's not Bruce Willis, okay? That is George Washington. That's the father of our nation when he died in 1799. This is an interesting one. This is an artist. I shall hear in heaven. Anybody? That is Beethoven, yeah, great composer who was partially deaf. He said, I'm about to hear, amazing, I'll be healed in heaven. This one's kind of sad, listen to this. Now it's nothing but torture and makes no sense anymore. Kind of sad, isn't that? That's Sigmund Freud, the father of modern psychoanalysis on his deathbed. This one is interesting. I should never have switched from scotch to martinis. Pastor Mike. No, that's not, <laughs> that's not Pastor Mike. That's Humphrey Bogart, right? Hollywood leading man, famous for actually his acting and his, his drinking. Very sad. This one is amazing. Listen to this. I have offended God because my work did not reach the quality it should have. This is an artist. It's that slacker, Leonardo da Vinci. Talk about being hard on yourself. Amazing, right? And then this one is a contemporary one, just the last few years. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. It's the last words of Steve Jobs, before he went to meet his maker. The biographer of Steve Jobs says that actually on his deathbed, he became much more interested in God and the afterlife. So, oh, wow, kind of connected to, to that transition. And then this one is just kind of, they don't know who said this, but this is the last words. Honey, those jeans look a little tight. That was an unknown husband. They don't know who it was, but his last words out of his mouth. <laughs> People are fascinated by last words, right? They kind of represent the summing up of their life, and people presumably have nothing left to, to lose when they say them, so it kind of represents their true heart or their unfiltered thoughts. Well, the greatest figure in human history, Jesus Christ, said seven last words before he died. Or better, Jesus spoke seven final phrases from the cross during his last hours on earth. And those seven statements really are held dear by Christians around the world because they give us a glimpse into the suffering Jesus went through to accomplish salvation. You'll find every one of Christ's last words recorded in the Gospels between the time of his crucifixion and his death. And today I want to look at the first of the final seven words of Jesus from the cross. It's the words that our Savior spoke to his enemies in Luke chapter 23. Jesus said, let's do this. We're going to say out loud all of the words highlighted in yellow today. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. 
Jesus spoke those words to the soldiers, to the religious leaders and the crowds who crucified him, who literally nailed him to a cross. And I believe those words are some of the hardest to swallow in Christianity. Father, forgive them. I mean, what do those words tell us about the heart of God? More importantly, what do they challenge our heart, my heart, your heart, as a follower of Jesus, especially when people hurt or wound us? You can open your Bible or flip in your phone to Luke chapter 23. We also put it in your program notes today. And this is the historical account of Jesus' final hours on earth, his crucifixion. It's recorded by Luke, who was a medical doctor. And so accuracy was important to him. And Dr. Luke here is going to describe in detail the process leading up to Jesus' death. Jesus ministered with tremendous mercy, with compassion and healing towards people. Jesus touched lepers. He made the blind see and the lame walk. People who others avoided, Jesus would draw close to. He was described as a friend of sinners. So the morally corrupt, the sexually broken, the irreligious people loved Jesus because he talked about the radical mercy and forgiveness of God. And he was loved and returned by oppressed people everywhere. It made him popular with people, but he was a threat to the establishment. In particular, the Jewish leaders were offended by Christ's claim to be more than a rabbi. A rabbi was simply a religious teacher. And Jesus didn't come claiming to be a good teacher or just a good man. He claimed to be the one and only son of the living God. 100% human, but also 100% divine. God with skin on. And so the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, accused him of blasphemy. That's when you claim to be equal with God. And in his culture, blasphemy was punishable by death. So they had Jesus arrested. He was hauled before Pontius Pilate. That was the name of the Roman governor in Jerusalem. And though Pilate knew in his heart that Jesus was innocent, he was under great political pressure to condemn Jesus to death, to have him executed. We'll pick up there in verse 20 of Luke 20, or, uh, verse 20 of Luke uh, 23. It says this, wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again, but they kept shouting, what words? Crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I'll have him punished and then release him. In other words, Pilate's estimation is that Jesus was innocent, so he said, I'm just going to have him, you know, whipped, and then I'll just kind of release him, and that'll satisfy everybody. It says this, but with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who'd been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. His name was Barabbas, the one the crowd asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. And so you see a politician cave into political pressure and they go with the mob mentality. And this began the passion or suffering of Jesus. That's what passion means, the suffering, the pain. The sinless son of God was stripped naked and he was tied to a pillar where he was brutally whipped with a three-pronged lash with metal and bone at the ends. And that flogging would have ripped the flesh from Jesus' back and his shoulders, opening gaping wounds in his body. And scripture tells how the Roman soldiers who carried out the sentence actually made sport of Jesus. They punched Jesus. They slapped Jesus. They spit on Jesus. They put a blindfold on him and cracked him on the head with a stick and said, prophesy, who hit you? And they really made sport of him. And after that beating, 
and brutal flogging. They put a mock robe on his bloody back and crushed a crown of thorns on his head. Scripture said Jesus was so disfigured, he may not even have been recognizable. And then finally, they put a large wooden cross on his back to carry. Now, if this is too graphic for you, you can close your eyes, but we need to understand this. The cross was an execution device invented by the Romans. They took two timbers of wood together, typically weighed over 200 pounds, and condemned criminals were forced to carry their own cross outside of the city to the execution site. And so Jesus was paraded before the jeering crowds who had once cheered him, but now they spit on him. They pelted him with rocks. They said, son of God, save yourself. And understand crucifixion was the most brutal way to die ever invented by the Romans. Victims were stripped naked. Arms were stretched out. And then iron nails were taken one in each hand, two feet on top of each other, and nailed to a cross. And that cross then was raised up, and the victim's body was left to collapse in on itself, bake in the searing sun as a warning. This is what happens to those who defy Rome. And death came slowly. Typically, crucifixion took 24 hours because the victim would hemorrhage before actually, literally, his body would suffocate itself. And I know that's hard to watch. But see, this... This is the cross of Jesus Christ. This is what your Savior and Lord went through to forgive our sins. Verse 32 says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, they what? They crucified him there. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. In many ways, Luke 23, 34 are some of the most unsettling words in the entire Bible. How could Jesus say such a thing? For one, it seemed like they knew exactly what they were doing. It says the the soldiers mocked him. If you're the, hey, if you're the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? That's what I thought. Savior. And in a moment of sheer agony, through a fog of unimaginable pain, Jesus summoned the strength to speak. Looking down on his enemies, on the jealous Jews, on the raging Romans, on the jeering crowd, and, oh, look, you, and you, and you, and you, and me. We're in the crowd? See, the Bible says, because we're all guilty of breaking God's commandments, Scripture says, that every single one of us played a part in nailing Jesus to the cross. That that day, the sins of all men and women were heaped on Jesus, and he received the punishment that you and I deserved. We're guilty by accomplice. And looking down at his enemies, the ones who would murder the Son of God, Jesus used his last breath to say, Father, forgive them. This, my friends, is the heart of the gospel. This is the cost of Christian forgiveness. Understand, if you haven't been to church in a while or you say all religions are the same, they're not the same. Forgiveness is the great distinctive of the Christian faith. There is no other religion in the world that has at its center a God who forgives his enemies. Just watch the nightly news. 
Do public executions still take place in the Middle East today? Yes. Beheadings? Yes. Crucifixions? Yes. Done in the name of God by ISIS and militant Islam. What happens? We know the drill. The condemned are paraded before the public. The captors yell, Allahu Akbar, God is great. And the enemies of Islam are executed. But Christianity's God says, I take the polar opposite approach. Instead of striking down my enemies, Jesus says, I'm going to die in their place because I love them and I will suffer for them. What kind of God is this? This is a God with not human love. This is a God of radical forgiveness. There's a reason they call grace amazing. Jesus says, I want to show you God's heart, and God's heart is not to judge and execute his enemies. God loves them, and that's why he sent Jesus as a living sacrifice for humanity's sins. See, don't ever say all religions are the same. Above all world religions and ideologies, Christianity stands apart. The Christian God is a God of radical forgiveness. And to follow Jesus means we are to be people of radical forgiveness as well. Jesus said to his followers, I tell you, what? Say it together. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Easier said than done, right? I mean, can I ask, have you ever been wounded by somebody you trusted maybe? Has somebody ever hurt you? Perhaps it was a, a family member who failed you or a friend who betrayed you. Or maybe there was a, a conflict, a divorce, a breakup with an ex, or you had a falling out. Do you have anybody in your life who, who hurts you deeply? I mean, be honest, we all do, right? I mean, we all can instantly picture someone in our head right now who you're like deserves judgment but really needs forgiveness. I want you to hold their picture in your mind before we apply this because no matter what they've done to you or your family, my guess is that it pales in comparison to Mary Johnson. Mary's story first appeared on CBS Evening News. Her son was murdered by a man named O'Shea Israel. And you may say, oh, how sad. Look what a handsome young man he is. But that's not Mary's son. That's his killer. See, Mary is a Christian. She's a follower of Jesus. And although her life was shattered by her son's murder, inspired by the forgiveness Christ had shown her, she offered something unthinkable to the man who took her son's life. Forgiveness. This is her real-life story of loving your enemy who lives next door. Thank you, Lord. In a small apartment building in North Minneapolis, Thank a 59-year-old teacher's aide sings praise to God for no seemingly apparent reason. Indeed, if anyone was to have issues with the Lord, it would be Mary Johnson. For all you've done for me. He never had a chance. In February 1993, Mary's son, Loramian Bird, was shot to death during an argument at a party. He was 20 and Mary's only child. My son was gone. The killer was a 16-year-old kid named O'Shea Israel. I wanted justice. He was an animal. He deserved to be caged. And he was. Tried as an adult and sentenced to 25 and a half years, O'Shea served 17 before being recently released. He now lives back in the old neighborhood, close to Mary. This close. He lives next door. Next door. How a convicted murderer ended up living a door jam away from his victim's mother is a story not of horrible misfortune, as you might expect, but of remarkable mercy. 
A few years ago, Mary asked if she could meet O'Shea here at Minnesota's Stillwater State Prison. As a devout Christian, she felt compelled to see if there was some way, if somehow she could forgive her son's killer. What'd she say to you? I believe the first thing she said was, look, you don't know me, I don't know you, let's just start with right now. And I was befuddled myself. O'Shea says they met regularly after that. When he got out, she introduced him to her landlord, who, with Mary's blessing, invited O'Shea to move into the building. Today, they don't just live close, they are close. Clearly, Mary was able to forgive. Unforgiveness is like cancer. It will eat you from the inside out. It's not about that other person. Me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for me. For O'Shea, it hasn't been that easy. I haven't totally forgiven myself yet. I'm learning how to forgive myself, and I'm still growing towards, you know, trying to forgive myself and what it is I've done. To that end, O'Shea is now busy proving himself to himself. He works at a recycling plant by day and goes to college by night. He says he's determined to pay back Mary's clemency by contributing to society. In fact, he's already working on it, singing the praises of God and forgiveness at prisons, churches, to large audiences everywhere. Forgiveness is a powerful thing. Which explains why Mary can sing her praise of thanks to her audience of one. Is that an unbelievable story? I mean, a woman whose only son was murdered now lives next door to his killer and treats him as her son. There's a reason they call Grace amazing. Today, Mary and O'Shea lead a ministry together that brings together mothers and murderers, and they travel the country together telling the story of the power of forgiveness. Now, understand, this is not an overnight miracle. I mean, what you just saw was a three-minute snippet of a much longer process that took over a decade for reconciliation. And you guys know this. If you have been deeply hurt or you've been wounded by somebody, forgiveness isn't this one-time event. There's a much longer process. But there's a reason that CBS spotlighted Mary's story. Because real-life forgiveness is so rare in our world. When it actually happens in real life, it's newsworthy. It's news from another kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ and his followers. Now, I pray you will never experience the kind of pain and trauma that Mary endured, but I know something about you. I know something at all of our campuses in this room. There are plenty of people here today who are carrying hurts in all shapes and sizes, some of them big, some of them small. And I'm going to ask your campus teams to come forward right now to give you something to help drive this home to your heart. Campus teams, would you pass along? We're going to give you, we bought this week, 3,000 of these nails, okay? And you're going to notice something about these nails. They're not normal nails. They are not brass tacks. They are iron spikes. Pass them, go ahead, pass them out, guys. These are very similar to the kind of spike that was probably used in the crucifixion of Jesus. Take one down. When the bucket comes down your road, just take one and pass it on. And I want you to hold this in your hand as I talk. I want you to feel its weight. I want you to feel its point. And as you hold that nail... I want you to think of somebody who has caused you grief or somebody who has caused you pain. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe somebody stole something from you. Somebody who you're having a hard time forgiving them. And to be honest, maybe you wish you could pay them back for what they did to you. 
It's interesting to me, I'm going to take three of these nails, because on the cross, Jesus was pierced in three places, Scripture tells us. They put a nail in his hands, they put a nail in his feet, and a spear pierced his side. And in a lot of ways, some wounds go deeper than others. I find that people who struggle to forgive really suffer from typically three kinds of wounds. The first is what I would call a surface scratch. The everyday bumps and bruises of living in a fallen world, right? It's the, it's the hurt feelings. You said something insensitive. And, and these are the wounds that are caused by just the people who we love and the people who we live with, right? They're minor injuries. They're small. For instance, last week I hurt my wife's feelings. Um, I know you all think we have the perfect marriage, you know, right? Not so much. Last week, I was honestly, I was stressed out by all, we had all these 31 wedding vow renewals and everything. There were a lot of details. And I needed Colleen to, to um, you know, get like a little boutonniere for my, you know, lapel. And I was like, do we have like a flower we can just cut and, you know, stick on there? And she's like, oh, no, I'll go out to the store. I don't want to spend money. She goes, no, I'll go out to the store and I'll buy one for like all the pastors. I'm like, you're always trying to spend money. I just need a flower. And she's like, okay, do it yourself. And she walks out. And it's funny, my son's playing Legos and he just goes, ooh, daddy burn, you know. I hurt her feelings, right? And because and I, I was frustrated, and I sat there, and I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to do next, so I prayed. I was like, God, would you just help me here? And I, I don't want to preach a series on marriage, and yet you have this gap with my wife and I. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, you know what? I want you to go and ask her to forgive you. And so I swallowed my pride. I went in the living room, and she's just sitting on the couch, and I go, sweetheart, I'm... I'm sorry, that was just so stupid. You know, I, I ask you for help, and then when you offer a, a solution, I insult you. I go, I'm just, I'm just, I don't know what it is. I'm frustrated, I'm overwhelmed, but it's wrong to take it out on you. Would, would you forgive me? And she smiled back, and she was like, of course, you know. And so we hugged, a little kiss and everything. Reconciliation, right? In other words, a, a small little wound gets repaired. And, we, I, you know, I think that's a good thing, by the way, because after we finished, my son was sitting there, and he just goes, Daddy, I'm proud of you. You know, he's 10 years old. But that's a great lesson for him, right? I want to see, hey, his father fails sometimes, he screws it up, and daddy has to humble himself sometimes and ask forgiveness. And I was like, son, that's what a man does. You're the first to apologize. But that's just a surface scratch, and we all have them, right? The domestic disputes of daily life, you can think of this, a, a loved one says something hurtful, or a friend does something thoughtless, or a friend leaves you out. And though it stings, it's easily corrected by a sincere apology. But the second kind of wound is what I call a, a puncture wound, and this one goes a little bit deeper beyond the surface into the muscle. It's, it, it's a parent who, who wasn't there when you needed them most, you know? Or a family member who, 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 say, who does something abusive or, or, or while they were drinking or, or they say something wounding. You'll never amount to anything. Or maybe it's a friend who, who you confided in. You thought, man, I could really, really trust them. And then you find out they were actually talking behind your back, spreading gossip. Ah! Or a coworker. You've been working very hard. You had an idea, working very, very hard on it. And they steal credit for something you were working on. A puncture wound, see, is different than a surface scratch. Because if you break the skin, it will heal over time. But you notice puncture wounds always leave marks. The, the memory of it still lingers. And you can probably think of somebody who gave you a puncture wound years ago. You can, you're thinking of now and you're like, man, I, I did forgive them, but ooh, yeah, that's still, that was so hurtful. See, there are surface scratches, puncture wounds, but the third nail is a pierced heart. And this is a life event that goes straight to your soul and causes tremendous spiritual pain. It's the divorce you never wanted. It's the betrayal you never expected. It's an assault from a stranger or an abuse from someone you trusted. See, for Jesus, beyond the physical pain, we concentrate on the physical pain of the cross, 
The relational pain Jesus experienced, think about the betrayal of Judas. Three years he pours into these guys, and then one of his inner circle betrays him with a kiss. It's the denial of Peter. When push comes to shove, Peter's like, I don't know the man. I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Three times. Betrayal, denial, abandonment by God. One of Jesus' last words, my God, why have you forsaken me? We'll get to those last words in a future week. That's relational pain on the deepest level, and it goes straight to the heart. For me, the deepest wound I ever received in ministry was about 10 years ago. Um, I was a brand new pastor, and Colleen and I had befriended this, this couple, a young couple. They were um, dating at the time. They were younger than us, and we kind of you know, mentored them, poured into them, had them over for dinner, uh, went on vacation together. They were there for the birth of our first child, and then they got engaged, and we were very happy for them um, at first. But then things kind of took a turn. During the engagement, the woman really started acting pretty disrespectfully uh, to the guy. She would kind of belittle him in front of others, insult him like publicly. And we pulled him aside and we're like, dude, what's going on there? And he's like, I'm not sure. And then she got pretty manipulative and eventually it turned to threats. And we confronted her and she blamed him. She said, well, it's him. He does this to me. You know, I'm under a lot of pressure. And things got very ugly very quickly. Um, I was doing their marriage counseling. Without getting into all the details, about halfway through, I said, in good conscience, I can't marry you guys. And she went ballistic. I mean, tore into me. How dare you judge it? She stormed out, and he was like, sorry, and he was like silent. And I was stunned because she just came at us. So I reached out, and we got together one more time. But this time, he had sunglasses on, and when he took them off, he had scratches on his face. I said, what happened? She said, she threw a glass full of orange juice in my face. I said, guys, that, that, that seals it. This is not healthy. You guys, we have to hit the pause button on the wedding because there are some deeper emotional needs here that need to be addressed. Well, next day, I get an email from a friend. Dude, have you seen Facebook? I was like, what? I go on, and the woman had gone online onto my Facebook page and wrote the most vicious, slanderous comments about me, ripping me as a pastor, shredding Colleen, ragging on liquid, very, very disturbing. Can I tell you, that nail went deep. Because the guy and I were, were pretty close friends. And he did nothing to stop his fiance as she just ripped us in public. I reached out. He stopped returning my calls, would not return any emails. They just went radio silent. And they got married. Pretty much shunned Colleen and I. We were like dead to them. That was almost 10 years ago. And like as I'm telling you, I can still feel that here. That's what a heart-piercing wound is. And in the days following, guys, I struggled. I struggled with anger for the way that, you know, they treated my wife. I struggled with bitterness for the way they just kind of threw us out. I had these, like, thoughts of, like, revenge. Like, I wonder how she would like it if I put that dirt on Facebook, you know? In my heart, I did not wish them well. And suffice to say, my wound, it got infected. And if you have had your heart pierced by someone that you love or trusted, a family member or an assault, a divorce, a breakup, a stranger, relative, it doesn't matter. You know what I'm talking about. But if you're a follower of Jesus, Scripture says... Forgive as the Lord forgave you. In other words, you need to look at the cross. How did Jesus forgive you? Because that's how I want you to forgive them. And I'm like, if only it were that simple, right? See, on the cross, Jesus faced all three kinds of nails. The surface scratch, right? It was the insults, the mocking, the jeers, the taunting of the Pharisees. The puncture wound of, you know, all his disciples falling away one by one from the garden. The pierced heart. That came from the relational pain, the betrayal, the denial, the abandonment. And John records in his gospel how one of the soldiers 
pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. When doctors study the crucifixion, they say that is consistent with heart failure because the pericardium, the, heart, the sac around the heart, when a person's dying, it fills with water. And when Christ was pierced, his heart literally burst open. In other words, how did Jesus die technically? Jesus technically died of a broken heart. See, sin, after all, is not just about breaking God's laws. It's about breaking God's heart. And you and I are both sinners and the sinned against. We're people who both need to give and receive forgiveness. But how do we do that? I mean, practically speaking, if you hold this nail in your hand and you think about someone who's hurt you and you're like, how do I forgive them as Christ has forgiven me? How do you do it? As a, we're a Christ-centered church. And so what that means is we always look to Jesus for the answer and the application. In Luke 6, Jesus told his followers to do four things to forgive their enemies. I want to read these words together out loud. Let's do the whole thing. Luke 6. Ready? Big, loud voice. Here we go. Jesus said, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If you're taking notes, those are the four ways to forgive that Jesus says can heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. And the first thing he says is, love your enemies. What does this mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. I like what John Orberg said. He said, to forgive does not mean to forget. It does not mean to condone. It doesn't mean excuse, tolerate, or overlook. It means you choose the path of love over the path of hate. Again, if you go back to the example of Mary Johnson, right? At first, she hated O'Shea Israel. She, felt, she hated the man who murdered her son. She actually said, do you hear that? She goes, he's an animal. He deserves to be caged. But then did you hear what she said? She said, unforgiveness is like a cancer that will eat you from the inside out. If you live with unforgiveness, you know it torments you day and night. It robs your sleep. It steals your peace of mind. It embitters your spirit because suddenly you get locked up in this prison of anger. You want justice. You want your enemy to pay. I've, I've heard it said this way. Unforgiveness is like drinking a bottle of poison and thinking your enemy's going to drop dead. But it actually eats you alive. That's why Jesus says the only way forward is love. Love your enemies. And that's not impossible to Mary until she realized, wow, O'Shea went to prison, but I'm in a prison of my own. And loving him offers a way out. She said, me forgiving him does not diminish what he's done. Yes, he murdered my son, but the forgiveness is for me. It's for who? It's for me. Lewis Smead said, forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and then realizing the prisoner is you. We love our enemies as Christ did, so his love then can heal our broken heart. Can I, can I ask, who does this nail represent for you? Who, who is that? Could be a friend who betrayed you. Maybe it's someone at school who makes fun of you, or it's an ex who just kind of, you know, makes your life difficult and slanders you. Jesus says, love your enemies, and then he says, do good to those who hate you. And you may say, I could never love them, let alone do something good to them. I want revenge. Listen, revenge is the most natural feeling in the world, and it comes from being mistreated or hurt or lied about. And you may say, man, I want payback. Payback's the opposite of grace. You know what payback is? Payback is saying, you know what? I want to use this nail to nail them to the wall. <laughs> Or a cross. In other words, 
I want to be the judge, the jury, and the executioner, which is simply to say, I want God's job. Don't ever say, I want to take the place of God. The Bible says only God has the right to judge and punish a person's sin. As Romans 12 describes, look at what it says. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, God says, you must leave judgment to me. Even though justice is delayed, that's my job. But what's your job? Watch this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Which is simply to say, the Holy Spirit may actually provoke their conscience. Right? You guys know how this works. Have you ever treated like someone poorly or you said something nasty and then they're just super nice to you in return? How does it make you feel? Kind of crappy, right? Same idea. When we respond with grace instead of hatred, when we respond with love instead of payback, we give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to drain the poison from the relationship. And the Holy Spirit can use that to convict or soften someone's heart, even the hard ones. And this is a genius of Jesus. In his mind, forgiveness is the most powerful weapon in the world. It is a weapon of love. See, Jesus took a negative and he turns it into a positive. Look how Romans ends up. It says, do not be overcome by evil. Say it together. But overcome evil with good. That's what Mary Johnson did. When O'Shea was released from prison, she called his, her landlord and said, is there a place for him to live here? And he's like, yeah, there's only one unit left. It's the one next door. And she said, move him in. That's doing good to your enemy. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's homeless, find him a place to live. And this is so challenging for us to do. Because you're like, man, I'm not Mary Johnson, but th th this is in deep. And, and what does that look like? What does it look like to do good to the person in your life in real time? Jesus gives very two practical actions that you can take this week. He says, first, bless those who curse you. And secondly, pray for those who mistreat you. I want to talk first about the blessing part because in Bible times, most blessings were, were spoken, which simply means that you commit in your heart to always speak well of them. That's what it means to bless them. Even when you have a chance to badmouth them or set the record straight in a way that vindicates you but vilifies them, instead you bless, you speak well of them to others. You don't spread rumors or, or tell others what they did. In essence, watch this, you let their sin against you die with you, just as our sin died with Jesus on the cross. Guys, I know of so many Christians who are held hostage by hurts from the past. They have dreams of revenge. They write scathing emails or compose angry letters because they feel so wounded. They just have to let others know how poorly they were treated. And so they run down their enemy any chance they get. Well, let me tell you about so-and-so. And then they say, why, why don't I experience more of the Holy Spirit? Forgiving like Jesus means you actually cancel their debt. You say, I'm putting down the hammer and nails and I'm entrusting them to God to judge. But my hands will be clean. You decline the chance to highlight their guilt. And this is so hard, guys, right? When you keep your mouth shut, when you don't send that email, when you don't post that comment, you're like, oh, that hurts. It does. What's dying? Answer, your flesh. When you forgive, you are literally crucifying your flesh, that desire for revenge, and instead relying on the Holy Spirit of God. Because the Holy Spirit never, ever, ever leads a believer to wish bad things for another person, even if you're convinced you're right. 
That was the hardest thing for me to do with my friend, that couple who hurt me deeply all those years ago. <clears throat> I remember looking at their wedding pictures on Facebook after they got married, and there was this, like, temptation to post, you know, a snarky comment like, watch out for flying orange juice, you know, like. <laughs> I was like, oh, this isn't good. That would not be good. Don't do that. Don't do that. And then I see the like button, you know. Everyone's like, 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 congrats. You're like, like, like. And I'm just like, no, I don't like this. And I'm, the Spirit's like, just like it, like it, you know. And I'm just like, I don't, I don't feel it. doesn't matter how you feel. Like, I hit like it. I did not mean it. I had to will myself to do that. And a couple of years later, <clears throat> I'm at a party, and the couple comes up, like, in conversation. And someone goes, hey, weren't you guys close once? I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And people just got quiet, and they kind of, like, leaned in because they're like, oh, here it comes. We're going to hear, like, the rest of the story. And remember this, bless them, speak well. And I'm like, you know what? He's a great guy. He's a, he was a really good friend. And, you know, they seem happy. Ah! <laughs> you know, the conflict died with me. It took everything I had to speak well of them and then ultimately to pray for them. Now, let me clarify what this means, to pray for your enemies. It does not mean, dear God, I pray that you will crush them. I pray that the seven bowls of wrath and revelation come down on their head, you know? Praying for them means you actually pray for their success wherever they are. When, when, when something brings them to mind, you see a picture, you hear a song, you, you read a post. Instead of indulging thoughts of revenge, instead you actually say, God, right now, again, I release them to you. They are your son or daughter, and though they've hurt me, I forgive them in Jesus' name. I forgive them. I forgive them. Sometimes you need to speak their name out loud. That's what I would do when I pray for him. And I, I would start thanking, I wouldn't find a lot good to say, so I would thank God for them. This is very hard, especially if, like, if you're like, oh, this is my ex, you know, there's no way I could pray that way. But you pray for something like this. You, you pray, God, I, just, I thank you for the season we had together. I thank you for the time we shared, for the family you formed. And wherever they are right now, I ask you, God, would you just bless them and prosper them? May they feel your love and know your love wherever they are. That kind of prayer is the highest level of intercession in a Christian's life because it is spirit-led prayer. It is not natural. It is supernatural because you're praying in the spirit of Jesus. You are actually mirroring the words that your Savior prayed from the cross in his final hours. Father, forgive them. You are asking God to forgive the offense and heal the relationship. On the cross, Christ died, the Father forgave, and then the Holy Spirit reconciled us. He made peace in our heart with God. So understand, reconciliation is possible. And God says, I want you to pray for that, no matter how long it takes. You have to take the long view. It took Mary Johnson 12 years before she could even meet O'Shea face to face. But that's when God planted those seeds in her heart. And now today, she and O'Shea traveled the country together sharing this powerful story of forgiveness and God's grace and reconciliation. Prayer is powerful. You just never know what the Holy Spirit will do when you pray like Jesus. Amen? Have you ever prayed a simple prayer of forgiveness for your enemy? If not, I'm going to invite you to do that in just a few minutes when we close. And you need to understand, your prayers may or may not change them, but I guarantee they will change you. It changed me. So here's the... Final part of the story. Three months ago, I get an email from my friend from over 10 years ago. And like I said, we hadn't spoken. I think it was about a decade. And, um, and he messaged me and he said, hey, hey, bro, I know it's been a while. 
and God's done some crazy things in my life, and I want to grab lunch sometime. And at first, I, I didn't reply, but then I thought, why not? You know, I've forgiven him. Who knows what crazy stuff God's done? So I meet him for sushi, uh, and it was incredible, right? So I roll in. He's sitting at the sushi bar, and it's funny, right, Kyle? You remember this. I, I came home, and Kyle was like, you know, how did it go? And I was just like, he's like a different person. I walk in. He was kind of a shy guy. He got up out of his seat, and he made this beeline for me across the restaurant. He's like, dude, and he just gives me this huge bear hug in the, the sushi restaurant. We sit down. He starts sharing a story. Things did unravel with his fiance. They did get divorced. They never had any children. I said, Tim, I was so depressed. I was in depression, so devastated. I went to a Christian counselor. And that's where he said, I really had the gospel penetrate my heart. That, that, I've been going to church for a long time, but Jesus touched my heart. He was a very nominal Christian. And he said, Tim, I've, so I've been praying like, ever since God's been doing crazy things in his life. He said, I felt like the Spirit was telling me to reach out to you and tell you I am so sorry. All those years ago, I look back now, and I realized you cared enough to tell us the truth, and I couldn't hear it. I didn't want to hear it. And I hurt you, and I hurt Colleen. I wish you were here. But I just wanted to ask you, would you forgive me? I was speechless. Speechless for me is a miracle, okay? It's like, what? <laughs> and I was like, dude, I already have. And then, like, we're hugging at the sushi bar. And literally, I was just like, dude, and for, would you forgive me? Because I was a rookie pastor, and I look back now, and I did all sorts of bungled. I would do a lot different now. And we're hugging and sort of crying at the sushi bar, you know? And someone's next to us, and they're like, oh, are you guys like long-lost friends? And we're like, yeah, we are. <laughs> but we've been found. We spent three hours at the sushi bar catching up on our life and friendship. It was a sweet moment. I mean, never in a million years would I predict that a falling out 10 years earlier. Guys, that's the power of forgiveness. That is the power of loving and blessing and praying for your enemies out of sight, behind their back all the time. So I want to tell you today, I'll give you a word of hope. Because no matter how, how bad this relationship seems, reconciliation is possible. But you have to take the long view. 10 years, 12 years, it's important you hear this. If you have been deeply hurt or wounded, forgiveness is not a one-time event. It is a process. There's no magic wand. But it's part of an ongoing lifestyle for Christians. You actually make the decision to forgive them today and tomorrow and a year from now and 10 years from now, daily, hourly. It may or may not change them, but I guarantee it will change you. You forgive so that one day, God may set the prisoner free, and that prisoner is you. So here's my question. What's God asking you to do with this nail? I know. I can see it on your face. I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you today very gently. And that nail in your hand may represent someone who hurts you. Maybe a fresh wound from a few weeks ago. It may be months. Maybe it happened years ago. And today God is saying, would you look at the cross of my son Jesus, and would you let it go? The lengths my son went to, to forgive your debt to me. Look at his hands, look at his feet, look at his side and realize they're wounds of love. And in love, you're my child. I'm inviting you to come forward to both give and receive Christ's forgiveness. All our campuses, in just a few seconds, I'm going to invite you to stand up, get out of your seat, come forward. And you are going to do something amazing. You're going to pray a prayer of forgiveness for your enemy. Ask God to bless them. And you're going to drop that nail right at the foot of this cross. And trust them to God. And then we're going to receive communion together.
Communion represents the broken body of Jesus and his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of my sins, of your sins. Before we come forward, let's bow our heads and invite the Holy Spirit. All our campuses, bow your heads for prayer. Father, I ask now, right now, would you send the Holy Spirit, flood this place, and fill your people with courage and heart to confess our sins to you so that we might be healed in Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed as we continue on in prayer. If you're here today and you have someone in your life who has hurt you, the Holy Spirit has brought that to mind, would you just hold up your nail? Just raise it up nice and high. Just raise it up nice and high. You're offering it up to God, this relationship. Nails up all over the place. Keep it high. I want to lead you right now just in a simple prayer of forgiveness. If you're holding your nail high, just repeat these words after me. Say them out loud. Can we say them out loud? In fact, as a church, let's just say these out loud together. Pray, Father, forgive me. Forgive my anger, my bitterness. I want to love, but I don't know how. Jesus, help me. Heal my heart. Save me. I believe you died on that cross for my sin. Now fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.